On today's episode of Chalk Talk, we're going to dive into the full interview with Dr. Seth Eckler. Uh, we had Dr. Seth Eckler featured on a podcast with a physical education teacher, but we wanted to dedicate this entire episode to the full interview with Dr. Eckler. He provides a lot of great insights and a lot of great knowledge around physical education, so we're excited to dive into his full contribution. This is Chalk Talk presented by Platform. I'm Doug Curtin. Let's go. Dr. Eckler, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so you have your PhD in education sciences, but if you wouldn't mind, um, just as our listeners are always wondering you know, who it is we're talking to, before we get started, do you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I graduated with my bachelor's degree from the University of Kentucky. Um, that was in physical education and health promotion. Um, from there, I went right into teaching in higher ed. Uh, when I got my master's, I taught service courses and um, activity-based courses there at UK. Um, and as I got my master's, I really grew to love higher education. Um, and at that point, I kind of realized, hey, I'm going to go into higher education. Um, but I also didn't want to be one of those professors that maybe some of you all have had that uh, talked about things he had no real clue about or real practical experience doing. So I taught uh, in both primary and secondary physical education for about eight years. And uh, from there, I went back, got my PhD at UK and um, have been teaching in higher education for the past four years. Um, awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you sort of just touched on it, but outside of just your background as wanting to be a teacher first and having, you know, real world experiences, what made you want to get into this in the first place? Yeah, I, I get that question a lot, um, especially for my students, just, you know, how to stay engaged. Teaching was always, education was always kind of in my blood. Both my parents were teachers. Um, they're both retired now, but um, I actually, unlike a lot of people, grew up loving school. I loved, I loved the aspect of learning. I wasn't always, you know, proficient scholastically, but um, uh, I loved learning. Uh, I, I love the social aspect of school, getting to know different people and being around other people. Um, and I chose physical education specifically because of how involved in athletics I was. Uh, I grew up playing a lot of different sports, um, depending on the season, um, which I'm sure a lot of PE teachers do. Um, but I ultimately identified physical education as a profession because of my passion for fun. And like, just I just liked having fun, and yeah, I found you know activities and games and that type of thing really fun. Uh, so I kind of decided, well, if I'm going to do something for the rest of my life, profession-wise, I might as well have fun doing it. So um, that's it was kind of a natural fit for me. Um, and then higher education came about just because of my experiences and all the kind of things ended up aligning um to make to make it work so awesome yeah that's kind of my background for sure and, and you sort of touched on it just in terms of you know physical education and just moving being fun but i think with that and, and something that you know we hear a lot from different people is that sometimes you know 
gym or PE kind of gets that negative connotation. And obviously, you know, you've committed your life to preparing and getting PE teachers ready. So how do you sort of combat some of those people that say, you know, like, you know, PE or physical education might not be, you know, a, a real subject like math or science or whatever it may be? Yeah, I think I think the quote, like you said, that uh, those who can't do teach, those who can't teach, teach gym, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, blanket statements like that typically are never productive and are uh, pretty inaccurate most times. But um, I think usually people that, you know, identify PE as not a, a subject area that should be taught in schools um, are either teaching out of ignorance Um, they don't really know what happens inside a PE classroom or they've had some type of negative experience and it was probably their last PE experience. You know, uh, their high school experience wasn't the greatest. So they remember those things and they remember it not being beneficial for them. They tend to forget all the, all the experiences they had as a young person, um, where they developed their motor skills and their ability to move in general. so they tend to forget those and then they just, you know, kind of um, make it kind of negative PE. Um, the other thing is, in some cases, and to be honest, practitioners um, kind of have uh, propagated the stereotype that it's not a real subject mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times. Um, specifically, like I said, within the secondary education setting, you know, middle school, high school, um, it's seen as a break for students, you know, it's kind of like a recess time or even to some extent babysitting time, not part of a full school curriculum yeah. um, like it should be viewed as. Um, and teachers have kind of sometimes at times, many of them have um, kind of prolonged the stereotype because they don't really put in the effort or um, they don't know how to um, effectively teach quality physical education. So um, I think that's kind of piled on to that, to that negative stereotype. So, yeah. And, and, you know, for folks that know about platform, that is our primary space is working with, you know, secondary education, working with middle and high school physical education teachers to teach, uh, you know, fitness education. So in your line of work, what do you do to kind of combat maybe some of those stereotypes or some of those misconceptions as you prepare future physical education teachers? What's the goal in getting them ready so that they kind of can set out into different schools and maybe reshape people's perceptions of PE? Yeah, I think, well, just to kind of start, like PE is challenging. I mean, all content areas are challenging, but PE is kind of uniquely challenging in that you're not only teaching a very diverse student population, you're also teaching a very, very diverse um, content. Uh, it's just so complex. Um, there's so many avenues and there's not a lot of time, um, to teach those avenues of content. So, um, you know, you mentioned like best practice for the students and what do I tell my students and how do I, how do I get them to kind of, um, change the tide or shift the paradigm and the way people think about physical education. Um, I think it all starts, um, you take some of the things that worked in the past, obviously. Um, you know, I don't want to go into the 1900s history of physical education <laughs> on you. Um, but just some of the things that culturally have happened, um, the shift public health, has, public health has had over the past few years, 
um, actually past 30 years, um, we've seen a big shift in public health and just the emphasis on, hey, let's get our students active because mm -hmm. they're, they're a high percentage of them are obese or overweight and they're not being active enough um, in general. So um, I think the shift, I really kind of emphasize, hey, let's get our students moving inside the class um, and then kind of go from there. Um, we want to maximize the amount of activity that they get. Um, but also encouraging them to, hey, this is not just free time for our students. There has to be some learning um, happening because what we're ultimately asking them kind of at a macro level is um, we're teaching them skills that they can take beyond this classroom, beyond the school day, beyond their K through 12 experience um, into their adulthood life, their adult life. and um, really trying to be active throughout that. Um, so there has to be some learning or by the end of PE class, that's all the activity they got and they don't know how to be active beyond that. So, yeah. And I think you touch a good point is like, you know, a lot of what we see now is a lot of kids are pretty sedentary throughout the day. You know, they're not moving, they're not necessarily up and about. And so that time that we have with them is that maybe like 45 minutes to an hour, we do get the opportunity to now really have to teach moving teach being right. active so that after that like you touched on it happens so you know one thing that that you kind of struck that i i'd love to follow up with you on is obviously you're teaching kind of these young um future teachers to go into these spaces and hopefully kind of make that change but obviously they're also walking into schools with teachers that have been there for 20 mm. 30 years so what do you guys do to sort of strike that balance with a mixed group of of teachers and you know people with different experiences, how do you almost encourage to blend maybe past experiences and what's worked, like you mentioned, into mm -hmm. what we hope for in the future for, for PE? Yeah. I, so to start, I, I just, sometimes I think back to that, you know, you've seen video clips, I'm sure, um, maybe even in a movie. I, I specifically remember watching like, you know, old comedies, uh, like Porky's comes to mind where it's like they're in the PE class and, it's very regimented. They're all standing there doing jumping jacks, counting out, to, out loud together. And PE cannot be that. Uh, it can't be that anymore. Um, students move too quickly. Um, it can't be that. But but like you said, there are some things that we can take um, from the old and implement the new. I think I always tell new teachers, um, you have to figure out and you have to determine what's best for the students. Um, too often they get into their school and they're surrounded by other physical education teachers that have simply said, um, decided that they're going to do what's best for them, uh, do what's easiest a lot of times, uh, unfortunately. Um, but the student and what the student learns during their PE time is secondary to what is easiest. Um, so I always tell them and encourage them to check themselves that if they're doing something because it's easy or they're doing something because they're comfortable doing it or um, it's the way it's always been done, uh, then they need to revisit that and maybe change what they're doing. Um, because, you know, quality physical education um, should be tailored towards all students. Um, you know, and it's and like we said earlier, it's complex. There, We have to teach them content that helps them learn management skills, self-discipline, responsibility, 
that talks about physical health, but also mental and emotional health. It's, it's complex. We've, we've talked about that, but, um, because it's so complex too often, they fall into the trap of it's too complex for me to get all of these things in. So I just, I'm going to do something that's easy. Um, so, um, I tell them to kind of check themselves on that and, uh, and always do what the students, what's best for the students, their individual students. So, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. Well, we're going to take a quick pause just to kind of transition into our next topic. So this has been great. Um, and we're going to jump back in in a sec. Sounds good. As we just transitioned from the first part of our bonus episode with Dr. Seth Eckler, I would encourage everybody to go check out the episode he is featured on with Rusty Fuller. That episode is linked directly in this bonus episode, so please feel free to go check it out. Again, we appreciate you listening. Let's jump back into our full interview with Dr. Seth Eckler. All right, so we're going to jump back in. Now that we're jumping back in, um, you know, we're still here with Dr. Eckler. He's talking to us a lot about his experiences, both as a physical education leader, teacher, but also getting others in, in prepared. So I think what you've touched on at the, the front end of our show is just how complex teaching physical education, education can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we hear a lot, because we're working in kind of a, that niche of fitness education and, and teaching right. movements, mechanics, all of those different types of things that it's really hard when I have students from ninth grade all the way up to 12th grade that are athletes that are maybe not playing on sports. And we hear that term mixed bag. So Mm -hmm. how often do you see that? And and what do you kind of think, or do you break down when you get those types of situations in PE that are, you know, quite unique um, in terms of schooling? Cause it doesn't happen in those other subjects like math, science, et cetera. Right. Right. Yeah. I always, I talk to my students a lot about, Uh, you know, either when they're creating or adopting a curriculum, you know, that you start at this, like kind of this giant, this big picture macro level of, okay, what's the goal of the class? And then kind of work from there to the more um, micro level decisions that you're going to make. But like you said, that mixed grade level class, or even a co-educational class is all provide unique problems to physical education. Um, And the way that, you know, you may approach the ninth grade, 10th, 11th, 12th, they're all in the same class is just like you would approach um, a general ninth grade class of physical education. I mean, if you think about it, um, if all the students are in ninth grade and they're in your physical education class, they all have different developmental levels they're going through. Um, I remember you know, I'm six foot tall. I was six foot tall in the ninth grade. Uh, I had, <laughs> you know, I haven't grown since. So, right. Um, no, that's a good so, point. You, get you know, so, I was, I was probably 120 pounds soaking wet and just barely cracking like five, three and yeah, you and I would have been in the same class. How do you work with that? Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I always approach it the same way, even though they're different issues, approach it, uh, the same way. You try to individualize your instruction as much as you can, as much as you can. Now, you know, I'm in Jefferson County Public Schools right now. Uh, I work with them closely. Sometimes they'll have 50 to 60 to 70 students in a class. Um, how do you individualize something like that? I'm not sure there's a perfect way, but you individualize it as much as you can. Make it unique um, content to them. Um, you relate it to what they're doing. 
and what they enjoy and, um, you know, what their abilities are, where they're at developmentally, um, as much as you can. And then you, then you go from there to try to reach your larger goal. Um, you know, I wish I had this, you know, magic answer that would allow all the teachers to reach all their students. I'm not sure there is one. Um, but I know that you have to keep the individual needs of students in mind throughout every decision you make when you're developing a curriculum. Um, that's one thing, you know, not to, you know, toot your all's horn or anything, but I, I do like about it is that you have individual progressions throughout your um, classes, which is awesome. Um, and if I ever speak out of turn with this, you just correct me. Um, it seems like, you know, they have goals set out and they try to reach them. They progress forward towards those goals. And um, so I, I kind of like that, you know, you're not asking everybody to be on the same level all yeah. at the same time. So No, and I think that's a, a good way to think about it because, you know, a lot of the impetus behind a lot of our curriculum and programs came from, you know, thinking about everybody as one group and then saying, well, even within those ninth graders, how do we get everybody kind of up to speed at their own individualized level and, and work with them in, in terms of different, you know, resources. So I think that's a, a really good point. And then with that, you know, I think is the other side of it. And every, every teacher we speak with always asks, well, then how do you take that, that 50, 60 students in a class? And then how do you assess that? How do you, excuse me, how do you assess, you know, how that progress was made? Um, and I'm speaking, do you grade based off of effort? Do you grade based off of data? Is it a mix of both? What are you thinking of in terms of kind of assessing physical education for, you know, a subject in a grade? Yeah, I think in high school specifically, and in some degrees, middle school, um, physical education, grading is an area in which um, we've actually worked against progress. Um like you say, oftentimes our grades grades are based on you know effort or uh, sometimes even based on whether I like the person or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, teach. I've seen that with teachers. Uh, there's so many issues there. Um, a lot, you know, in other content areas, you're able to uh, teach some content, uh, give an assessment on whether they understand how to follow a formula or. Um, or they understand the structure of a sentence or whatever, whatever the content may be. Um, And PE, sometimes you're not able to do that. Um, uh, Paper pencil assessments are not always best for people that are performers that are able to perform a skill, but can't cognitively grasp strategies or um, tactics implement, or even uh, biomechanical principles or whatever, whatever the content may be. And then Mm -hmm. the other side of that is, um, we can't just give everyone performance-based tests because some people will be less genetically gifted than others. Others, So um, just like everything else, grading and assessing student um, NPE is complex. Uh, for me, I always encourage my students to um, adopt assessment and evaluation strategies or techniques um, that provide objective measures. So like the data you said, um, so something that is tangible that you can just say, okay, these are what the numbers are telling me, or this is what um, the information I have is telling me, not just saying, uh, and I know PE teachers that did this, not just saying, 
well, you know what, let me think about that student. And then, uh, okay, I think he gets a B or she gets a C or, you know, what, or he, she gets an A and he gets a B and they just go down the list of um, students and provide grades. Um, so I think they do that, give objective measures, you know, whether it's rubrics, peer assessments, um, even rating scales or, um, but it should all be based on progress. Um, not perfection. You know, you're never going to perfect this or skill. Um, you're going to progress towards it. Um, and you might not ever get there, but as long as progress is happening, um, I think learning is occurring. So, sure. Um, and I, and I think too, to that point is that like, you know, in terms of a progress scale, you know, what we always say is you know, if someone starts out with a 15 minute mile and they move down to 10 minute mile, that's a five minute improvement and you just made leaps and bounds, but you see a 10 minute mile to some, and you might not say, well, that is the gold standard. Exactly. If you're going by presidential fitness, uh, and that's, standards, right. you, you didn't do very well. Uh, right. So, yeah. And, and I think that the hard part, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this is that, um, you know, we talk about other subjects or other disciplines, maybe not taking physical education seriously. So mm -hmm. we do try to maybe use that data, to justify what we're doing. Right. And, and yeah. so like, those are the types of things I think is a, is a hard balance to follow because if I take back this whole list of data and say, these are my students metrics, this is how they've improved. You can do that in some other subjects. Whereas in PE, we don't want that to be necessarily the end all be all, but I feel like sometimes it can help, right. You know, it mm -hmm. can help move that needle. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think as an educational community, we should get rid of, okay, this is the, you get an A, you get a B, you get a C. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not big enough to make those decisions, but letter grades have always been counterproductive to me um, in my personal life. And when I give students, it's demotiv it's amotivating and um, doesn't encourage them to learn any further. I mean, you know, I was I always struggled in areas of math uh, going through ele elementary in the middle and the high school. And then, um, and it was just because I'd almost had that by the time I got to high school, I'd almost got that idea that I couldn't do math. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't able to, my mind wouldn't, but then I get into college and, you know, I'm taking statistics courses and um, the approach the teacher took with me was very different. It wasn't okay. I want to make sure that you understand this concept, not I'm going to grade you on whether you can do this correctly. Um, you know, I, I began to learn a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, it's hard. I, I think it's hard. Um, but like you said, it does provide a little bit of uh, equity with other teachers um, in that, hey, we're assigning grades. But like you said, it's got to be a balance there. There's got to be some kind of balance. Um, I think it has to be data driven, but also I think that the teachers need to keep needs to keep in mind that um, it's not all, you know, if they're, if they, they reach their goal, um, then that should be, that should be emphasized a lot more than, okay, you're, you're meeting the standard for 95% of the American student population or whatever the, whatever the standard is you set forth. So. Right. Absolutely. And then it's that balance. You know, there's a really good way you can track and monitor how people are doing, but also taking it into the context of effort and where they were at when they started and all those other right. things. So um, I think that's a, a good place to stop there. Uh, we're going to take one more quick pause. When we do come back, we're going to discuss 
talk of a few kind of miscellaneous things that I would be interested in. I think a lot of our uh, folks listening would be interested just to pick your brain if that sounds good. Yeah, sounds perfect. All right, awesome. Hey, everybody. Thanks again to listening to our bonus episode with Dr. Seth Eckler. You'll find all of our episodes of Chalk Talk presented by Platform on our blog, on our website, as well as on all of the different places that you can find podcasts. So if you like what you're listening to, go check out the many different episodes that we have been working through with our team of certified strength and conditioning coaches, with outside guests like Dr. Seth Eckler. It's been a pleasure to get to speak with all different types of people, and we encourage you to go listen to more. All right, so we are jumping back in. This has been an awesome episode, uh, something a little bit different than what we're used to kind of chatting about. So what we're going to kind of segue into is maybe sort of like some tips and tricks of, of physical education or some frequently asked questions we get. And I think one of the ones that we get most is um, engaging and motivating. Uh, mm-hmm. And it and it comes a lot of in the vein that we know what that group of kids looks like, um, kind of shuffling into the gym or the fitness center, and they just you know, don't want to be there. Uh, yeah. From a, a perspective of teaching, maybe it's during your student teaching that you encourage people to kind of identify, how do you meet or work with that group of type of students? Or how do we teach or meet with that type of students? And, and that's a tough question, but you know, something I think a lot of people probably walking into the profession might not have an answer to yet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is where I spend most of my time, a lot of my time with my students. Um, the, the research that I do and the publications that I've done in the past have all been associated with motivation. Uh, how do I motivate students, all students, but also how do I motivate that special population of students that don't want to be there? Um, the first first thing I tell my students um, in general is you have to smile at your students. <laughs> when they come in, wh- whatever mood they're in, you can't reflect that. Um, you have to smile at them. You have to get to know them. You have to engage them with enjoyment right away. Um, engage them with enjoyment is something I say to my students all the time because what you want is when they come there to enjoy being there and then when they leave to remember that as an enjoyable experience. Um, there are some ways you can do that different ways, um, but far too often we forget that at a basic level, our students will only continue to do into adulthood what they enjoy doing. When they start making their own decisions outside of school, right. um, they're only going to do that if they enjoyed doing it. Um, I mean, think about it in your own life. I mean, I rarely do things I don't enjoy doing anymore. Um, right. And every time, every time you're running a mile, if you have someone beaten down screaming at you. Exactly. Or, or you have this thing in the back of your mind that says, I have to get this time you're not looking around and enjoying yourself thinking about, um, wow, this is really relieving some of the stress or being able to think through some of the issues that you're having while you're running or whatever. Um, I, I, I did a little case study inside, uh, one of the research projects I was doing, it was very unofficial. So, um, don't, you won't be seeing any publications based on this, but, uh, yeah, uh, there's a very small sample of middle school students. There were 50 minutes classes. Um, I watched every class. So there were six of them, six classes. Um, the average student smiled five, less than five times during that 50 minute period. Uh, you just can't have that. You just can't have that. You have to have them enjoy being there. Um, and if you can't 
help them to enjoy being there, you're never going to motivate them because it's all tied together. Um, it's all tied together. So um, the other thing I think helps with those students is making it relatable to what they and not only enjoy, but um, they've been exposed to, um, you know, what their experiences are. Um, I talk about this. Well, I think I was going to mention it uh, when we were talking about um, maybe the assessment. I don't remember what it was, but just doing like a student interest survey at the beginning of your semester. This is a real practical thing to do. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time. Maybe it could even be a part of your syllabus if you have one for your PE class. Um, and it's just simply a list of activities. And it can be anything from individual sports or uh, physical conditioning or whatever. Uh, it's just a list of different things that um, you might be able to teach inside your classroom. Yeah. Um, and then the students just kind of rank them and you get a good feel for, okay, what do my students enjoy doing? What will, would my students be enjoy being exposed to? So some, maybe something new. Um, and you also get a good idea of, okay, what have my students experienced already? Because yeah. you know, nine times out of 10, a student is going to put their top choices in something they're good at. And if they're good at it, that usually means they've practiced it. Right. Um, so you get a good idea of what, um, and if you can find those things, if you can do those two things, you can find something that they um, can relate to or have experience doing, and you can make it enjoyable. I think the motivation comes with that a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that's a really good point is, you know, people like what they're good at, but we can also find a way to expose kids to mm -hmm. things that they might not be good at yet, yeah. but could get to enjoy. So I guess, you know, <laughs> not to put you too much on the spot, but yeah. your little, you know, anecdotal um, research that you did as you kind of counted and saw the smiles, what would you do to maybe like kind of up that number? Is it just the way as a teacher you lead the class or are there certain kind of like positive reinforcements throughout the class break? Like what is it that would up that number so that that enjoyment kind of goes up with it? Yeah. So the research that I was doing while I was, while I did that kind of case study was um, it was looking at uh, verbal feedback and corrective feedback that we give our students as teachers. Um, it was talking about, it also looked at um, the amount of instruction time we we take um, talking to the entire class as a whole, um, talking to small groups of students or talking to individuals, you know, far and away the most uh, observed instructional practice was teaching the entire class or instructing the entire class. I think it was over 60% of the time. So that means the teacher was just say, giving instruction or giving content or whatever to the entire class uh, all at once. Um, and so I think by, um, kind of breaking that down, you actually are able to develop relationships. If you can give, uh, so, so let's use your, uh, the platform, uh, as an example, if each individual has their phone out and you're kind of leveraging that phone, um, for, for use in the classroom and they're all on separate workout plans. They're all doing their own thing, progressing through at their own speed. Um, it allows you as a teacher 
to move around, establish relationships with, okay, there's a pair of students that are on kind of the same level here and they're working together and you notice something that uh, maybe you want to change, maybe you want to reinforce. Um, it allows you to, okay, the instruction is occurring. I can reinforce that instruction or I can encourage them in some way. I can ask them questions on their progress. I can do a whole lot of different things to say, to really engage with the individual, the small group, rather than having to stop the entire class. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it all works together, too, because when I stop the entire class, I'm taking movement opportunities away from a portion of the class that already knows what I'm talking about, that already has that content and could already be doing their own thing. Right. Whereas if I talk to individuals, and maybe they don't understand a concept that's being covered, uh, but if I talk to the small group or individuals, all the other students that get it are still moving. So they're being active right? Uh, and right. they're progressing forward. So, And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is wanting to stop everybody, go mm -hmm. over it so you don't have to go. But I think one of the benefits of just being able to become more of a facilitator uh -huh. and walk throughout the classes, like you touched on, you're keeping that activity time up and yeah. you're also kind of meeting people more on an individual basis where – kids can stay moving and also have more of a connection than just like I'm up here as the teacher and all my kids are out in front of me and I'm talking. Right. I, I tell my students uh, when they're giving whole classroom instruction, they need to limit their time that they're talking to like less than 45 seconds. I mean, oh, it needs yeah. to be, you need to be very precise, concise and um, get them moving um, yeah. and then work around um, to the individuals that might not get it, might not even understood what you were saying in the first place. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be a handful of people that got it immediately and uh, can do it so they can be active um, and you're not taken away from that opportunity to move. So Right, and I think the people that you're talking about that get it, they get to go. And the people that don't are probably better off with more individual instruction yep. anyways than absolutely. Talking. I don't know if the bigger class time would help them get there. So. I think really interesting and, and something that, that is what we get a lot. Um, what I would follow up with you on that, though, is when you start to think about that um, and we're layering in those different things that students need and the different things that we're teaching is, you know, you mentioned uh, classes of up to 50, 60 students at times, and that is a big number. Um, do you ever try to encourage other, you know, students within the class to become almost uh, mm. assistant teachers or help guide and, and absolutely kind of like uh, an extension of you. How do you encourage your, your students that are becoming teachers to help and have other students underneath them almost become, you know, teachers in and of themselves? Yeah. Almost like a trickle down. Um, I, we, I do that a lot when I, when we discuss fitness education, because, you know, like we said, developmentally, a lot of students are going to be different on different levels and just working at different speeds and they'll be able to do different weights. And, yeah. um, you know, it depends on the content a lot of times, but I've always found that you can identify several students to either be a team leader or at least be someone yeah. that is a reference or a supplemental portion of whatever you're teaching. Um, you can always identify those students and it's not always the same students depending on the content either. Right. Um, you know, if I, if I'm teaching a basketball unit in physical education, I'm not saying that I would teach that, but if you were, you know, you identify those that are um, maybe gifted or even understand concepts um, about basketball and then hope almost, you know, I don't want to use 
you disciple them, you know, you disciple the other students, they teach, you teach them, they teach others, you know, it's kind of that trickle down. Right. Um, and that's, that's, you can do that in everything. Um, right. You can and do I that think, in everything. So, yeah. And I think what's cool with what you touched on is like in fitness education, you know, the biggest kid or the strongest kid might not be able to move the best or squat to depth or whatever it may be. Right. So you then become, you know, able to, maybe activate or create those webs of that trickle down with people that might not always be the ones that you would think right off the bat. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about, you know, that person that is, you know, likes to do powerlifting and they might struggle with things that have to do with agility and, you know, they might struggle in those areas. So there's always kind of an overlap. Well, this is person's strength here and this is another person's strength and let's see how they can, cohabitate with each other. Um, one of the things I always kind of encourage my students is to do like team-based learning. Um, you know, in the physical education world, a lot of times, um, they call it cooperative learning or even they use a model called sport ed. Um, but it's really just having a group of individuals that are, um, in charge of progressing each other, you know, whether it's the gift, really gifted person within that unit or, uh, the person that's not as, uh, doesn't have as much experience in that. They're all in charge of progressing each other. So success isn't dictated by whether I'm good at this skill. It's dictated by whether our kind of team or our small group um, or cooperative group progresses towards whatever our goal is. So yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Um, I think that's a, a an excellent place to stop. But before we do, um, I'd love to just ask you kind of what your main takeaway or or anything like that in this profession would be before we kind of wrap up just in terms of, you know, we'll circle back to the top about maybe some of those misconceptions of PE or anything else like that. Is there anything that like you would almost want to put your stamp on as, as we kind of close out in terms of physical education, as we were thinking about all these different topics we were discussing that, you know, you kind of just said like, this is what I hope to convey or, or anything like that. I know that's a broad question, but yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I always kind of, I do this uh, thing in the last day of all my classes in college. It's kind of like a state of the union address, uh, or for me it is at least. It's probably the closest I'll ever get. But um, <laughs> it's kind of just talking about, okay, these are the issues we have, and we all know them. We all have either experienced them or been told about them. Um, and you can either decide to be, uh, you know, to go along with the paradigm that exists or you can change the paradigm you exist in. And um, so I always tell my students, uh, if our goal as physical education teachers is to make physically literate students, right? So you can take all the content and all the concepts that you learn in physical education and apply them to your life. If that's the goal, then uh, we have to make it um, something that uh, is enjoyable for them to do in their own life we can't make it something that is um you know it's not uh i guess it wouldn't be something that they would continue on with Um, yeah so i always tell them that to emphasize and the other thing is um don't think just because you're doing fitness or um you're doing uh you're running you can't make that enjoyable and fun a lot of times we think, oh, this running, how can we make that fun? You can make it fun. You mm-hmm. have to be creative. You can't just say, okay, we're going to run 
three miles, most of the people are not going to think that's fun. But you can make it fun. You can make it enjoyable for students um, if you're creative. Um, sure. And then, and this is, and I've talked to you a little bit about this. This will be my kind of my last point is a lot of times I get the complaints from physical education teachers is I can't get my students out of my phone, out of their phones. I can't, once they're in there, all they want to do is be on their phones. They want to be, I don't know what the coolest thing is now, but they're, they want to be doing that, right? Um, it is what it is at this point. The students are looking at their phones a lot. They're always going to be looking at their phones a lot for now on. So you can either accept that or continue to spin your wheels. So the real question is, how are you as a teacher going to leverage that time they spend looking at their phone uh, for, for your needs to get your content out there? And that's not just for physical education teachers. That's for um, anyone that wants to engage a yeah. young person. Uh, you have to figure out ways to engage them through the prism that they live within. So, um, so find, find creative, be creative, find creative ways to use your phone. You know, there's a lot of tools out there. You all have one of the good ones. Um, there's a lot of tools out there, but, um, just try to leverage it for, for what you need. So. Awesome. Well, this has been a, a great, great, uh, episode with you. I appreciate your time. Um, we'd, we'd love to probably have you back on and we could spend an entire episode on activity, moving, grading, assessment, but I think absolutely a, a good first stab with, uh, someone who's living and breathing both in physical education and also preparing future physical education teachers as well. So Dr. Eckler, we appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks again. And we appreciate everyone listening. And remember at platform, it's always in the pursuit of better.